Nice to have you with us. Finance today. Stephen Pritchard is here, and we're taking a look at the commodities and the markets at the moment. Hi, Dave. Well, it's been an interesting week. Um, a bit better than last week, though. I mean, the, the gold price was up uh, again um, by half a percent to eighteen hundred to sixteen hundred eighty-five dollars an ounce compared to last week. The silver price was down by one percent to twenty-one dollars and thirty-two uh, an ounce, and the copper price, which is which is Copper is a good lead indicator of economic activity. It was up by 2% for the week to $6,413 a tonne. And the nickel price was up 6% for the week to $11,708 a tonne. So, so all the, the industrial metals, uh, which which were used in manufacturing presses, all, all showed increased demand and were up slightly. So that, that's a good economic indicator. Um, our currency um, seems to have strengthened as well. So um, for those people going overseas on a trip or whatever, um, the Australian dollar's up a margin against the US dollar for the week to 71 cents. We're up 2% against the British pound to 50 pence. And we're up almost 3% against the euro to 64 euro cents. And, of course, the market, the all-ordinaries market, is... is uh, after you know the continual drift down for for the year, we're up marginally on the week by two point three percent, back to four thousand nine hundred thirty eight points. So you know we're heading back towards that five thousand point level. Um, the U.S. market was up three point three percent to sixteen thousand four hundred fifty three on the week, and the U.K. market was up six percent to six thousand and thirty points. And the oil price, well, the oil price was, um, for all those drivers out there, and we had a discussion about the oil price earlier with Dave, um, the oil price was up 8% on the week to 43 West Texas Intermediate Crude Price was up um, to $43.55 a barrel, which is 8.6% for the week. Um, and the petrol price, which is... Uh, Dear to our hearts, which doesn't always move in the same direction as the oil price for some reason. Yeah, odd. <laughs> um, yeah, the petrol price was good. It was down down one point seven percent on the week to a dollar and eight a litre for unleaded petrol in Newcastle um, this morning, not so long ago. And the Sydney price was down ten percent to a dollar seven. So the Sydney price and Newcastle prices are almost back into alignment. Mm-hmm. And the diesel price, which diesel is always a mystery to me, that used to be cheaper because it's a, a byproduct of refining, um, but it's now it's now a um, dollar fifteen a litre, which is seven percent, seven cents above the petrol price. So yeah, it's you thought you were doing okay yeah, having yeah, diesel. Yeah, yeah. People, it does go further, but people goes... swap to diesel cars and paid extra for the diesel cars on the expectation they were going to save some money. And now, now they're not. No. Now, now they're going to pay more. And and the Sydney diesel price is a dollar nine a litre. I see. How things. So so the A2 milk result was out on Wednesday. Yes, it was, and, the, and the Bellamy report's out sometime this week. It wasn't out this morning yet. So um, we're going to expect uh, good results. they were. The, um, the A2 result was very good and showed, I guess, the, um, the, the huge growth they have in China and, and the huge possibilities and potential they have there. So, um, yeah, the, the stock price has just done remarkably well. to have all the uh, clean and green things we spoke about then before. At length, the Bellamy's, the Blackmore's, the A2, the Vitacos. Yeah, yeah. So we can we can expect a good result from Bellamy later this week. I'd expect too. 
Hello. Yeah, Henry. And um, Len Lease, Len Lease, and Villa World results were both out this week, and and there was a bit of a boom there because of the residential sales base. Their earnings were up above. For Rangaroo at the moment, which is um, it's going up so quickly, it's quite frightening. So uh, Len Lease again, they they produce some very good results, showing the benefit of their exposure to residential property and development in the South Wales, uh, especially Sydney. So uh, yeah, good results from Len Lease and. Yeah, well, that's good. I mean, Lindley's built um, Australia Square, and they famously put that up at a, a floor a week. So it, it looks like they're proceeding at yeah. Barangaroo. At uh, I, the... I think they're trying to put Barangaroo up before anybody notices quite how big it is. Ah, uh, so they're going up at two floors a week then. So no one can actually change their mind about how uh, how much uh, the skyline is going to change and how much. Um, yeah, it's a bit hard to do once it's built. And, and Villa World, which is also in residential property, but at the different end of the market, um, you know, that had an excellent result as well. So, so the the property development slash uh, building type companies seem to be going from strength to strength at the moment. Yeah, sorry, Stephen, I just just missed that. This phone line's great. Yeah, that's okay. Okay, right. Well, thank you for your input today, Henry. We'll talk to you again next week. There's Henry Jennings joining us. And I wanted to continue on. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about uh, Domino's. What's happening with Domino's? Uh, Domino's just goes from strength to strength. I mean, they're, they're putting this new, well, they've put this new technology into their, their shops. And uh, I don't know if you're going to. They must be doing something to Teenage son or not. I mean, you can, you can order on your smartphone device. Yeah, and and um, you can actually track the the pizza. It's almost the, like a game the now. Pizza is it? on the way to your house. He's about to pull up at the front door. Yeah, basically like slight that. Like you know, he gets it. I've ordered it. It's leaving the shop. It'll be here soon, and you, you can track your pizza on your your well, own smartphone. It's led to a big rise in profits for them. Big rise, in, well, big rise in sales. Now, Domino's is also um, there's talk that Domino's is actually going to take the word pizza out of their name and expand into other lines of business as well. Okay. So you know, Domino's is just basically it's not a silly it. move if you think no, about it's it. Not a silly move. I mean, it's basically um they're, they're turning themselves into more a delivery business with their technology and you know, i suppose once you're starting to deliver pizzas it's it's not too far away to deliver salads and it's a very uh, competitive market competitive if you think market. about it that that pizza market because there's mm-hmm. so many in the game and they're all trying to compete for the same dollar so to try and do things a little bit outside the square is probably the way uh, but, to do but none of them have got the technology that domino's presently has for yeah. the delivery well and, that's and, smart and the kids like that tech you know, all the all the kids who are the pizza consumers, or at least the ones around that I know of, are the kids who want the pizza, and they all like the fun technology. So, um, yeah, that's what's pushing them ahead. What about the couple of these finance uh, so, sort of software companies? What's uh, I reckon. Well, I reckon. Uh, I mean, there's three major companies in the accounting market. There's there's Reckon, um, there's Zero, and MYAB, and they basically, oh, MYAB and Reckon base service the accountants market and the the, the mm-hmm. direct end user market. Um, Zero predominance in the direct and user market. Um, Zero's basically come from nowhere um, with the in the direct and user market with their online platform in the cloud um, and, and taking considerable market share predominantly from the MYB product. Um, and so the results of all three companies have been out in the last week. Um, Reckon's profit was down 14%, um, but still Reckon is the only one of the three that is still making money. I mean, Zero Zero's losing money. Um, it lost $24 million and MYB lost about $5 million. So, so you know, while it's got the small, smallest market share of the three, um, it is the one that's making um, money.
And we're continuing, and I posed that question before we went to the break about hybrid security. Let's expand on that uh, a little bit more. What is uh, it? Hybrid security is a, a security that, that, that's a combination of a debt and equity security that, that have been quite popular with mm-hmm. investors for the last um, few years, predominantly the ones issued by the banks. Now, um, a lot of people think they're a fixed interest security and, and don't kind of understand the risks that are involved in hybrid securities and, and um, not so much the banks, but there's a number of other companies that have issued these hybrid securities in the past and um, promptly seen the price fall or fall over a period of time to, to less than half the issue price. Now, um, all of the banks have of, of you know, continue to pay their, their dividends on the hybrid securities. But what people need to, to remember is that the dividend that they pay on the hybrid securities aren't guaranteed. They're not, a, they're not a fixed deposit at the bank where you're guaranteed the payment of interest. What you're doing is you're taking an equity risk on these securities and the price of the securities can go up as well as down. Now, CBA issued a, a hybrid securities about 12 or 18 months ago, a previous series. Um, they have traded as, as, as low as as much as 14% below the issue price. Now, they're issuing a new series. Um, the general commentary down the market is that um, these haven't got as high enough interest rate on them. And you can actually buy previously issued ones at a higher interest rate than the, the proposed new issue for CBA. So, so I, I'm not sure why anyone would go and buy these mm. new CBA um, hybrids proposed issue. Now, I wouldn't be surprised taking on, on board the commentary that's occurring um, that CBA is going to have to force, be going to be forced to raise the, issue, the interest that they're going, or the dividend they're going to propose to pay on these securities. That'll be one to watch then and see what yeah, happens Yeah, I think you know, in the next couple of weeks they'll be out. Um, no doubt uh, all CBA shareholders will be getting a, a, a offer through the mail to, to mm. take these up. But just, just be careful what you're actually buying and, and have a look at the proposed rate. And if you want these type of things, there are they do trade on the secondary market and quite often you can pick them up at a substantial discount to the issue price. Now, Stephen, the bank next door, ANZ are hurting a little bit. Oh, yeah, well, the ANZ, none of this is a surprise. The ANZ, the Asian, Asian adventure, uh, all seems to be coming unstuck. Um, ANZ, as you know, we're, we're going to get you know, gallop off into Asia and make uh, great amounts of profits there. Well, you know, that hasn't worked out quite as expected. Um, the, the, the new managing directors decided that they're going to start winding back their Asian exposure. And, and now, of course, the bad debt provisions are, are arising. I mean, you know, history has shown that when Australian banks expand overseas, it doesn't end very well. Mm. I mean, you've just seen the National Bank, um, National Australia Bank, offload the the Clydesdale business after you know trying to fix it for twenty years. Um, you know, Westpac had all sorts of problems yeah. in the ninety in the US. Um, so you know, I, I really don't know why we these Australian banks go overseas. It, it doesn't work. Okay. And you know, I think you're going to find you know, more debts come out, more bad debt provisions come out of ANZ's Asian business. Now, Stephen, what about Arium? What's happening there? Well, Arium's the, uh, the old one still, which changed its name to some um, you know, fancy name that oh, I don't know what it represents. But you know, Arium's had tough times. I mean, you know, they had the, the steelmaking um, plan in uh, YR and they had various um, ancillary businesses up here. Um, and, and they had the... Uh, the uh, iron ore mining business also in South Australia. Now, what basically happened is, you know, during the during the, the iron ore boom, they, they took on additional debt to expand their iron ore uh, business. Um, of course, the iron ore business um, is no longer profitable. Um, they're losing money on every tonne that they're, they're um, 
mining. And there's now talk, you know, that not only is the iron ore business going to have to be shut down, but, but the amount of debt they're carrying, they might have to shut the Wyala Steelworks down as well. Now, now, this is a bit of a worry from, you know, not only the fact that you're an Arium shareholder, you know, you've, you've only got two um, steelmaking plants in Australia left now that can actually, you know, get the iron ore and coal and, um, and convert it into steel. So if Wyala shuts... Um, You've only got the blue blue steel steel manufacturing plant at um, Port Kembla, and it it's futures far from certain either. Mm. So it's a bit of a worry that you know if, if Australia loses the capacity to to convert the iron and and um, coal and uh, limestone into to I remember that from my son's days at school. Yeah, basic elements into a steel make to steel. I mean, once we lose that skill, you'll never regain it. So, you know, the government, I would have thought, needs to have a hard think about, you know, what the, the strategic direction of this basic manufacturing industry is. And I would have thought we need to maintain those. Is there, is there any thoughts on why the, it could be the closure in Wyala? Well, it would be uneconomic. Oh, yeah. yeah, it'd be uneconomic. I mean, the, the, the steel's coming in from overseas, um, you know, low wage, big wage, big input in that industrial manufacturing business, labour costs, labour costs in... Um, China is, yeah. is, you know... So much lower. Fraction. So, so you know, we, we dig up the coal and we dig up the iron ore, send it over to China, process it, they process it in the steel and back it comes cheaper than we can manufacture it in Australia. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you, you wouldn't know what subsidies are paid by the Chinese government either for that matter. Now, Stephen, there's been a heat wave through the northwest, through Western Australia. What's happening with Woodside? Ah, uh, Woodside. Well, Woodside. Woodside's um, um, the result wasn't that bad actually. The the normal, you know, the you know all the oil and gas in companies are hurting um, because of um, you know the fall in the, the fall in the oil and gas prices. Um, Woodside's profit wasn't wasn't that bad, but unfortunately, because of the the, for the fall in the oil and gas prices, they've had to write down the the value of all their plant and equipment. And so basically the write-downs um, almost wiped out the profit for the year. But, but, but you know, that's a one-off. The underlying profit wasn't too bad. Um, Woodside also did say that they see little prospect of the, the price in oil and gas improving um, in, in the coming year. So that's a bit of a worry for some of the smaller oil and gas producers such as uh, Santos and, and Beach and, and a couple of other, uh, those other ones that are, that are really struggling far more so than... Uh, Woodside. Stephen, why would Northern Star put a gold mine up for sale? Well, Northern Star, that's interesting. I, 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 well, Northern Star has been one of the um, star producers in the gold sector. I mean, it's basically come from nothing to, to, to having a number of highly profitable gold mines. Now, they've got this gold mine in WA called Plutonic, and they've had a number of un solicitors offers offers for it and i think they've just decided well you know people wanting to buy it let's put it up for sale and see how much it's really worth and see what offers we get you know um the the gold price there's been a bit of a gold boom going in you know in the australian market the the companies that are that are based in australia and are producing gold um because of the because of the fall in the the australian dollar um and the rise in the gold price, um, the returns to uh, Australian gold mining, some of, the, some of the gold mining companies are now making over $500 an ounce. So um, the ones that are producing, um, as distinct from the exploration-type companies, which are still on tough times, but the producing gold mines are doing reasonably well. Okay. So, 
just some offers, and I suppose Northern Star wants to see how much they can get for it. Lots of students are accumulating hex bills. Let's have a little talk about that. Could could be a little bit of respite for them there. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, we we found that there is uh, certain students who are entitled to um, a rebate or a refund of the hex hex debt, and um, what but basically is the government's obviously trying to encourage people to do. Um, um, certain degrees where where there's perceived shortages um, for people with those degrees, and therefore offering a a, a repayment of refund of your hex debt. Um, now, of course, as usual with all these things, there's a number of things to go through to qualify, and it's quite complex. Do you so, know what degrees are yes, able to get a rebate? Yep, or? yep, yeah. So if you're if you you're a graduate of a science and maths degree, and um, nursing and midwife or teacher um, you can claim a rebate on Mm. your hex after you graduate and after you commence employment in those sectors so so if you if you um commenced your natural or physical science degree after the 30th of june 2008 which is um your science and maths degree um you, you may be entitled to a rebate and if you commenced your education nursing and midwifery course after the 30th of june 2009 you are may also be entitled to a rebate now the, to, to get the rebate you actually have to lodge a specific form with the tax office and provide a significant amount of information but but I'm told that there's a fair amount of money that can come back so um, if you're in any of those type of uh, courses um, it's all graduated from those courses um, it's probably worthwhile um, um, getting some advice on that and um, yeah. and and going ahead with it if you meet the uh, eligible criteria. Everything helps to pay back your hex debt. Oh, so. no, I couldn't believe it. I mean, yeah. how much you, you just for a basic degree, you're looking yeah. for a significant uh, amount of money. You're talking maybe 20,000 plus. 20,000 20, plus, yeah, 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 yeah 20, 30, 30,000. And the more expensive degrees, um, you know, yeah, a hundred. Yeah, you know, it's a huge amount of money for someone just starting out, not getting paid very yeah. much. Yeah, so it could all help you if you can get. A little yeah, bit so of a, it's worthwhile if you're it. in a, if you've got a science and maths degree or nursing, midwife or teacher related degrees, having a look whether you can get your hex, some of your hex money refunded. And we're taking a look at our topic today, which is proposed tax changes. Stephen? Ah, oh, yeah, well, there's been lots of interesting things come out. I mean, you know, we've got budget time coming up, and the government's floating um, lots of. Uh, Proposed changes, and uh, they they appear desperate to to get some revenue in. But I, I would have thought they should look at the spending side. That's that's you know that's where the cuts need to be made. I think you know, um, you know if you look at the stats now, I mean the the, the tax collections from personal income taxes now approximately two hundred billion a year, and money going out on welfare payments is two hundred and twenty billion a year. You know, so the first thing that needs to be done is you know. You know, to balance the personal collections from the what's being redistributed as personal I mean, um, personal payments. I mean, um, you know, I'm under the impression that once you get on the disability pension, it's never reviewed. Are we uh, are we what you would term a you know a, a state like that or a country like that, which is a welfare country? Well, we seem to be becoming one. You know, I mean, there's people who need to be supported. There's no doubt about that. But yeah. but, but you know. You know the, the collections. Uh, you know they seem to be paying more and more out, and um, and you know maybe uh, a, a review needs to happen. I think a needs review needs to be happen. And, and you know they're talking about now um, one of the proposals, um, which which probably something's going to happen because the Labor government, uh, the Labor opposition now seems to be saying that something do, needs to be done about negative gearing, um, and the Liberal Party's 
governments searching for revenue. So um, something there's all sorts of um, talk about um, that um, you won't be able to claim the loss on a rental property, or the amount's going to be capped, or it's going to be um, um, restricted to new um, rental properties. Um, but people seem to forget that the Labor government in 19, when Paul Keating was in government, uh, abolished negative giving. I remember doing the tax returns on that. And, um, you know, that only lasted 12 months because the effect of that was that the, the, the negative giving actually subsidises the yeah. uh, the renters and rents went through the roof. Yeah. And what also seems to be forgotten is the other side of the equation that... Um, the, the, the claim for the negative gearing, the interest that the, 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 the rental property owners um, claiming is that um, that's returned as income for the bank. So, so the, the lender's paying tax on the, the income. So, so, you know, I, I don't know how this is going to work. And looking at the accounting practice now that the people who, who had previously negative year properties um, in a lot of cases, um, because of the interest rates are now, you know, you can borrow four and a half percent. There's not much negative gearing there no, anyhow. No. So, so I think you know, I, I don't know how much revenue that's going to have, but but you know, it'll definitely affect um, the building industry, and you'd expect that um, you know, property prices might fall and rents yeah. might go up. Can you talk from them about dividend imputation? Well, you know, they're floating again, the dividend imputation. Um, you know, um, the the Australian Industry Group is pushing the barrow that um, dividend imputation needs to be abolished. Now, um, what that does, dividend imputation means that the company's profits are only taxed once. So the company pays the tax, it pays the dividend out to the shareholder, and the shareholder gets a credit for the tax that's paid. So what that means is your proportion of the of the of the income of the company um, only gets taxed at your marginal tax rate. So if your marginal tax rate is thirty percent, um, um, you get the dividend effectively, no, no further tax payable on it. If you're if you're in the top marginal tax rate at uh, forty eight plus the Medicare levy, um, the dividend comes out. It's got a credit of thirty cents, and you have to pay an eighteen percent um, additional tax on the dividend. So the the dividend imputation, and and if you're below thirty percent, you actually get a cash refund. So all the dividend imputation does is means that. The um, the tax you pay on your proportion of the dividend is taxed at your marginal tax rate, so it's really quite a fair and transparent system. Now, what the what the Australian Industry Group wants to do, um, or their proposal is, the company tax rate would drop, dividend imputation would be abolished. Now, the beneficiaries of this will be offshore investors because they don't get uh, the benefit of dividend imputation. So that what that will mean is that people who um, everyone will be paying additional tax on their dividends, even if the company tax mm. is above their marginal tax rate. So, you know, the policy is not fair and doesn't stand up to any type of analysis. Stephen, what's the latest with superannuation contributions? Well, you know, once again, they're all over the place. Um, the You know, the government's now seeing the superannuation as, as, as this big um, nest egg that they can extract more tax from. Um, there's talk of... Um, that um, the amount of deductible contributions is going to be wound back from thirty-five thousand to some lower amount. Um, there's talk that um, so at the at the moment when when tax deductions are claimed on the super contributions, either by your employer or personally, um, the fund pays fifteen percent tax on that. So there's talk that the the the, the fund's now going to have to pay tax at your personal marginal rate, which is um, 
the effect of that in practical terms is people won't put any additional money into superannuation. Um, so mm. a lot of people's salary sacrifice their salaries, uh, reduce their salaries so they can build up some superannuation money. But it, but if they're going to pay more tax on it, why would they? Yeah. And and so the end result will there'll be less money in superannuation. Well, be... Why would they go down that road? Wouldn't they be wanting to encourage more people to put more money in super? Ah, one, one would have thought so, but but you know they're they're chasing money mm. in, instead of. Um, you know, trying to cut expenses. Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the government's not living beyond its means. I mean, that's what the real issue is. Mm. Yeah. I mean, and so, so, so there's one talk. One talk is uh, um, also um, increasing the tax on the funds, the funds earnings, which are concessionally taxed at 15% at the moment. There's also tech talk that they should be taxed at the marginal tax rate. So, so once again, people won't put money into super any longer. Just quickly, I wanted to get your thoughts on this. We spoke about this off air, and that's about those who work on weekends and penalty Our weekends, rates. Penalty rates. Can we just uh, touch on that quickly? Because you have a, a real interesting theory on this that maybe government agencies need. Well, to... I, I think that's right. I mean, there's the talk about um, you know retail and uh, retail and um, um, restaurants, cafes, restaurants, cafes. Now, a lot of those people are, who work in those people, are, you, know, you know, are students and 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 um, and they're giving up their weekends. And they're giving up their weekends. And, and at the end of the day, the penalty rates aren't that significant no. in the scheme of things. And a lot of them actually charge um, extra. You know, you go to cafes, and a lot of them got a surcharge on them. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And and the wages, the wages component. Of, of a restaurant isn't isn't that large, mm. you know. It's usually around thirty percent of the total expenses. So I, I would have thought, um, you, you know, I, I can't see any reason why the penalty rates would should be abolished. However, I think that you know a number of services should should be offered to the public. That you know, and the first thing I think, you know, a lot of people would like to visit the Medicare office and other government services that yeah. people who are working. Um, can't get there during normal business hours when they're opening. They too could open up and, and not, I think not have a trial. They, they should be open at the yeah. weekend um, uh, and not pay their public servants any additional penalty rates because I'm sure there'll be a big demand by the public to, to visit these government agencies that are only open nine to five during the week, working week. And, and also, I think, you know, the, one of the big proponents of abolishing a penalty rates is the uh, Australian Business Council. And you know, I note that they're not open at a weekend. No. No, it's Oddly interesting. Enough, yeah. It's, yeah, it's interesting. So, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, some of these things people are talking about abolishing penalty rates should start expanding their own services without paying their own staff penalty rates and we'll see what happens. Thank you for today. That is Finance Today with Stephen Pritchard. Back again next, month, uh, next Thursday afternoon here at 2 in URFM.